I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond. In order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Hello, I am so excited to have Yukoma Yukairo here with me. Yukoma is a Maryland native occupying space in the Muscogee land known as Atlanta, Georgia. She joined the Access Reproductive Care Southeast team in July 2021 as a programs associate and recently transitioned into her current role of caller engagement coordinator. In this role, uh, they're able to liaise between the Healthline team, the folks who take calls and send money to abortion clinics, and the organizing and outreach team, which is the community organizers and volunteers, to combat abortion bans and increase access to care. She also leads Plan B Southeast, the organization's rapid response emergency contraceptive program. While she's not working, she's a yoga instructor and an avid reader. Yukoma, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited. Absolutely, Jill. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I, you know, we we connected because I'm a volunteer through Arc Southeast, and um, obviously things have um, escalated rapidly. I was for sure. That's a. I don't know if that's a euphemism or whatever, but like- I was going to say, I'm like, I don't even know <laughs> what the past was anymore with how much it has been decimated. So, yeah. So, um, in addition to you being amazing and always wanted to, to, to discuss these issues, um, I'm extra excited that you are willing to take time out of your, your busy day to talk with me because this is like a massive time in the, in, in the workspace that you are in. Um, so, um, so thank you. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. I mean, um, outside of this lovely podcast, I did get to listen to a couple episodes. Um, so I'm thrilled that I did that as a little pre pre recording homework. Um, volunteers are the lifeblood of our work. And so I'm glad that I got to meet you through that. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess I'd love for you to share a little bit more about other than being a Maryland native, a little bit more about your journey and how you ended up in work and um yeah let's start there yeah so um so i was born in washington dc at george washington university hospital um and then i was raised in columbia maryland which is a suburb between baltimore and dc so it's about 25 minutes south of baltimore and about 40 minutes north of dc um and spent a lot of time growing up in both and then um my mom, who was definitely like the matriarch of our family, fortunately passed away when I was nine and my grandmother raised my sisters and I. Um, and so when I turned 18, she chose to go back to Nigeria where the rest of our family's from. And I moved in with relatives in Mississippi and I had never been to Mississippi before. I had no connections to Mississippi. It, it was definitely a very big change of play, pace from like, progressive Maryland to like very like conservative um, in part Mississippi. And so, um, but seeing how like the community care in Mississippi was so vibrant, even with like the lack of resources um, made me realize that it is not like the lack of like people power. It is the lack of like 
capital and resources and like formidable community organizing to combat like situations of injustice. And so um, after living in Mississippi for five years, I decided to move to Atlanta, Georgia, um, and I did like an abolitionist internship. And then I took the programs associate role at ARC. And in what month are we in August? In April of this year, they decided to stick with me and I was promoted to um, a coordinator, the caller engagement coordinator. So that's the long and the short of it. Sorry if that was lengthy. Oh, I'm like all these things I wanna talk to you about. So I'd love to know, First, but not least, <laughs> first, but not most, um, the abolitionist internship, what organization was that through? Yes, um, it's an organization that I love very much and I still get to hang out with. Um, they're called the Center for Third World Organizing um, and they do a summer program. Um, it's for like young folks and it's for specifically targeted to like young queer folks and young black folks um, who are interested in like mobilization and community organizing and shifting radical change in that way. And so it begins with like a week long training week and then you are, for lack of a better term, deployed to different host sites. Um, some were in Oakland, some were in Rhode Island, some were here in Atlanta um, and you work at that host site. And the idea is like they're an abolitionist organization. And yeah, so I did that last summer and it was really cool. That sounds amazing. Um, I am not in any demographic that I can, that I can participate, but I'm going to look at, check it out and see if I can figure out some other, some other, uh, way to connect to them. Um, yeah. In your, in your next life, I'll make sure to send you the link between the ages of 18 and 30. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so can you, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about community care. It's not something I've yeah really gotten into much in the podcast and it's so important. And I think we're hearing more and more about it. We meaning people who aren't already involved in it. Um, yeah. Like what community care is, why it's so important and, and how it's kind of, kind of always been there in organizing spaces. Yeah. Um, making change. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, I think like there's a couple different ways to like approach community care and I'll do it in two ways um, just to like wrap my role into it and then it as like a greater um, like idea. So when you think of like reproductive change, a lot of times it is broken down into three tiers and there's reproductive rights, which is like the legal arm. You see like organizations like the Center for Reproductive Rights, um, the ACLU, organizations like that that are like going against the Supreme Court like they are the lawyers, the paralegals, the legal aid, so on and so forth, the lawmakers, so on and so forth. Um, and then you have reproductive health. And those are the physicians that are physicians, nurses, medical professionals who literally provide care. And then because sometimes those two things together are still not enough and people still cannot access the care they need. In 1994, um, in an international convention for women um, in Cairo, Egypt, 12 black women created what's called reproductive justice. And so um, it is a framework that basically says that even outside of like the need for rights and the need for healthcare, we still have people who cannot access it because their material needs are not even met. So they're not even at the point where like the legislation touches them because if you don't have the money to get to your appointment, if you don't have the childcare while you're there, if you don't have the like um, the material needs met overall, 
then the access isn't even something to consider yet. And so community care, um, especially from a reproductive justice lens, is basically saying that it is imperative for us to like be considerate of the entirety of a person and like noting that like as Audre Lorde says, we are not single issued humans and we don't live single issued lives. And so every part of us is an integral shaper into like what we can and cannot do. Um, and so the framework breaks it down to um, everyone should have the right to have a child, the right to not have a child, the right to parent in safe and sustainable communities, and then bodily autonomy. Um, and community care is modeled in a lot of different ways, but in Mississippi, one of the ways that I saw community care was I volunteered at the Delta Diaper Bank. Um, and it was literally like women who could not afford menstrual hygiene products after giving birth and community members going to like purchase diapers for them so that they could. It was community members coming out of their own pocket. There was no 501c3. There was no like infrastructure behind it. It was just like, you're my neighbor and I love you. And I believe it is part of my role to help you, period. Now operating under a nonprofit, um, if someone calls the health line at Arc Southeast, we're going to send the money to the clinic, period. Like there's no, there's no screening. There's no jumping through hoops. It's just you called, you need money for your purport appointment, done. And volunteers like yourself, if they need a ride there, someone's going to take you. Um, and so, yeah, I think community care really bridges the gap between where like things like policy and things like healthcare um, may fall short. Um, I love that. Um, the, the bridging the gap between where policy and healthcare, um, because I think if, if, if you have financial privilege and other types of privilege in this world, you, you might not even think about one might not even think about this level of access. Yeah. It's like, is it legal or is it not? End of story. No, literally. Like, am I breaking the law to do this? And I think, um, like, I have a friend who got an abortion last week and is of financial privilege. And she just flew to DC, got it and flew back. Like, if you have the access to do that, then Roe v. Wade falling and the Dobbs decision being upheld probably didn't impact your life that much. Um, but like, we are resisting and we are combating this legislation for the folks that don't, for the folks that like never have. And knowing that like Roe was never enough, it was never like indicative of how many people cannot access the care they need across the board, but specifically with abortion care. Can you talk about some of the ways that Roe wasn't enough? Yeah, so um, whew. I try not to get too dicey when it comes to like breaking down statehood um, and, and what that means. Mm -hmm. And um, okay, I'm just gonna say it and you can choose what you wanna do with it. The last time that like we discussed like states having the rights to do things, very horrible like stains on our country took place. Um, and so I think looking at Roe v. Wade and comparing it to like states having the rights to own people, states having the rights to only claim three-fifths of a person. It is like a clear predecessor of like legislation that can only make sense when states are saying, we don't want to do this and we just want like the legal backing to not do it. Or we want to do this and we just want the legal backing to not do it. 
And so Roe v. Wade was the federal government superseding that, saying like states like should not be able to just like, like we as a people have decided that this here is imperative. And while states should operate under X amount of autonomy, this like this specific thing, they should not just be able to do bar none. The reason, the ways in which Roe fell was while it stopped them, it did not amplify access. It also did not like center things like Medicaid or Medicare to make sure that like, again, people could afford the procedures they were getting. Um, it did not in any way like make it so that private insurance providers um, had clauses that like would allow people to get abortions. So it didn't make abortion any more accessible. It just, from a very basic, basic, basic standpoint, and I'm not a lawyer, um, made it legal and made it available, like a choice, something to consider. Um, but again, as, previ as previously stated, the like claims for statehood or lack thereof are not rooted in some sort of like patriarchal win. It's just to like decide when the federal government is saying something that you disagree with and you want to make sure that the citizens of your state are not able to access. So sorry if that felt very roundabout, but. Oh, it, that was really powerful. And I hadn't, like what you said about state access and and, and enslavement is like owning, like, uh, oh, like that, that just really pulled together some connections for me. And I don't think I've heard that said explicitly before so that was like a, a big a big light bulb for me thank you for thank you for that um for sure so how how is because i mean as a white woman of privilege and as someone who like is you know interested in anti-racism or not interested in, but, you know, actively striving towards anti-racism and stuff. Yeah. Like I sort of knew some things before J June 24th and also, which is for anyone listening when, when Roe versus Wade was overturned, but I've been hearing a lot now, kind of like the main points coming out are like, um, a don't make comments about, uh, for, for, I think for white folks, like don't make comments about, um, Handmaid's Tale be this work has already been done nothing has sure. actually changed on the ground and and support the work that is already being done rather than reinventing the wheel so can you talk about how community care has been in place and and what it's doing for folks you know in all of the states in the southeast I think yeah uh, and and yeah so I guess let's start there so one, um, in Florida, oh wait, Tennessee just overruled it. Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina, it is still legal to access an abortion. Um, and so we are still funding abortions in those states. Um, the parameters of which it is legal, of course, have shifted drastically, but yeah. it is still legal. Um, and we will do that till the cows come home. And then also like, outside of those states, we are still funding residents in all six states that we serve. So if a Mississippian calls us and says they're going to North Carolina for an appointment, like we're sending funds to that clinic. Um, and we are like doing everything within our capacity to provide them with the practical support, the ride to get there, the childcare when they're gone, so on and so forth. Um, community care also really looks like rest. Like um, our 
my um, department at ARC has gone through a lot of turnover and change in the last couple of months. These are great things. They are not like, they're like how we see like change and how an organization shifts and evolves with the culture around it. However, the ways in which that impacts capacity can sometimes really be detrimental to one person's mental health. Um, and so community care for ARC was row fell the 24th and our break still started the 27th. Like not allowing like things like legislation to yank us around, but still deciding like we have this, we know that radical rest is integral to how we show up to the work. And if we waited for like the waters to be calm, we would never take a break. Um, still like working a 32 hour work week and like letting that be our standard and not like, not like saying, oh my goodness, things are crazy right now. So we're just gonna up it to 40 until blah, blah, blah day. And then we'll take it. Like, I think those are the ways in which like kind of white supremacy yanks us all around. Um, and like, we are not diligent in our practices. Like, this is how I show up. This is not how I show up, bar none. Um, and then community care um, is sometimes finding really creative ways to work outside of these systems. Um, and for me, that is Plan B Southeast. So emergency contraception, contraceptive um, is in no way a Band-Aid for abortion access. If you're pregnant, Plan B is not going to end a pregnancy. So I just want to be really clear about that. There's a lot of like rhetoric that says otherwise. But um, if someone at least knows, okay, I had unprotected sex, this could lead to a pregnancy, and I can call Arc Southeast, and they can bring me um, a Plan B kit in like three hours, then that's an option. And yeah. I think it's important for us to like really, really solidify other options for folks outside of traveling to another state for care, which is just not feasible for some people. Yeah. Um, and then I think lastly, yeah, lastly, I would say community care is really working in solidarity with other networks, like extending our capacity in that way. So we are a member of what's called the Amplify Coalition. I can't name every single organization in there, but some of like the heavy hitters are Feminist Women's Health Center, Spark Reproductive Justice Now, Urge, um, Amplify Georgia itself, um, Planned Parenthood Southeast, the New Georgia Projects, New Reproductive Justice Wing, like organizations like that. And really trying to work with them, like doing things in tandem with them so that like their base is also aware of what's available to them. Or like shouting out Spark, Two weeks ago, they literally just sent out like mutual aid grants to all of their base members, just money, like simple as that. And so things like that, like meeting needs that are like clearly, clearly, clearly not being met in times like this and really trying to care for people well. So, yeah. It's like the simplest concept yet. Yeah, it's truly so foreign. Like there's I think such it's foreign because the United States sometimes really pushes individualism. Um, yeah. Like, it's like, Jill has to grind and Jill has to blah, 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 and Jill has to get this. And like, it is not good unless she gets this and da, 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 da. And like, what is the concept of like, Jill's entire community is doing well. Like, everyone Jill loves is doing well. Everyone that Jill impacts and touches is doing well. Like, that feels radical, but it could be very real if we like, truly changed and shifted how we perceive success and one thing for me personally but also for arc as an org if i'm not doing well none of us are and if everyone's doing well if one of us is doing well 
all of us are like we are inextricably linked to one another and it is an integral part of how we approach the work that's so powerful and i oh god i mean there's such a tendency of like mine you know like grab it hold it don't share it don't give it to other people and i love that expanding changing how we perceive success like you just said um And what are, what are our new parameters? You know, what are we, what are we measuring success on? Is it financial security? Is it, you know, fancy cars? Is it, or is it other things? And I think for some, it's like getting to the point where it feels like so foreign to care about other people. It feels so dire sometimes, like, especially through COVID. It's like, damn, I'm barely like holding on. Like things are tough for me. But again, like, if I'm not doing, I think other people not doing well, we forget like how close we are to some of those struggles. Um, I think there was like a statistic I heard, don't quote me on this, but something like the average American is like two paychecks away from houselessness. Like, and babes, that's me. (laughs) Like if I didn't get paid on the 30th and then I get on the 15th, no, I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. Like that would very much so like change my material conditions. Um, and because I have a community of people who I know would come together and like bridge that gap for me, do I think I'd be houseless? No, I know that my sister, my friends, people that love me would come together and make sure that I was on my feet. Um, but do I think I myself would be able to? No. And that in some ways not that it doesn't matter but it is not the only factor because i'm in community with people who deeply care about me yeah how do you how do you find those people oh is that is that an, even an answerable question <laughs> no but i can give you what i've been trying um because just when you think you found someone and not in any way that's like oh god people are the worst but just in a way that like Sometimes you grow and some people don't grow with you. And that's like, so okay. Um, But I think for me personally, how I found those people is being my most authentic self. Um, A lot of times, like in ways that we don't even realize we're taught to lie. And it's not even, it's things that you don't notice. Like, don't say that, sit like a lady, like Mm -hmm. mind yourself, like taught to like, really just like subtract parts of ourselves to like, put forth a version of ourself that really isn't even us. And so one being my most authentic self Two, I've been reading this book that I truly would recommend to anyone on earth. It is called set boundaries, find peace. And I literally love it so much. I bought the workbook. Um, and this woman, Nadra, she goes into depth about like all of these ways that like boundaries, they like don't inhibit our lives they better our lives and like one thing that like she reiterates like a true motif of the book is anyone who loves you loves your boundaries like Mm. no and people don't dislike your boundaries they dislike that how they have to operate outside of them um, or how they cannot operate when they're outside of them hopefully that made sense um and so it has truly changed the way I view relationships and the people that are in my life really honor my boundaries. And I really prioritize honoring theirs. So I think that's a really good way to start. And then um, 
I think lastly is there are people who radical love shows me that choosing them is not always the easiest thing. Um, I'll use my sister as an example. I love my sister. She's one of my best friends. And of course she gets on my nerves, but like, I love her even when I don't like her. Like, and I would like choose her even when I'm like, oh, you're getting on my freaking nerves. Um, but I think that that's radical love saying like, I'm, I'm choosing you even when like everything in me is telling me that I don't want to, because I love you very deeply. So yeah. Yeah. I love that because it can be very easy. I mean, it's, I guess it's differentiating between like what's toxic and what's just like love and being there for someone, even when they're not at their best. And even when it's yeah. like easy and fun and everything's perfect. Even like, um, I think a better example, cause my sister's very manageable. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure she'll listen to this podcast and be like, what the hell did I do to you? <laughs> like, but, um, I had a really good friend who has been sober for five years. So this is an example of the past. Um, but while they were in active addiction, loving them was very hard. Yeah. And figuring out what loving them looked like was very hard. But even when I, I wouldn't even say I didn't like them, even when I hated what they were doing, I still chose them and I still loved them. And that looked very different. Sometimes it was like removing myself from their life. Sometimes it was being very active in their life. Um, but the common denominator was always love. Yeah. I got asked this question on a podcast recently and I was like, I don't know how to answer this, but wh where do you find hope or is there hope? There's hope. Oh, there's hope. Some days I'm like, dude, at the bottom of this wine bottle, but, um, <laughs> most of the time, um, I find hope in community, just seeing like everyday people do everyday things for each other. Um, I learned that one of my friends last year, I, I didn't learn it from this friend, but I learned it from one of their mutual friends paid their, um, like paid their friends rent for three months, like just because they needed it and they were out of work and really needed support. And they are the type of person that would never share that. They would be livid to know that I'm talking about them right now on this very public podcast. But small examples like that, just like loving someone and like showing up for them because you can, not because you are forced to or owed, those things give me hope. Also seeing like the overwhelming amounts of support that we have received in, in the midst of this. Um, financial gifts. I, I want to say, dude, every day we get an email from some business or some organization that's like, we want to sell cookies and a dollar of every cookie is going to Arc Southeast. Stuff like that is insane. Two huge things like Paramore's fall tour, a dollar of every ticket is going to Arc Southeast. Um, so things like that give me hope that people are starting to look outside of like huge national organizations and like support on the groundwork. So, yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. I hope, I hope it continues, you know, and I hope it leads to like, you know, bottom up bigger level changes as well. Um, how did you feel about Kansas? Like what I, is that, is that a question you can answer? 
It is. Yeah. Um, whew. So this brings me <laughs> to like something that I've been saying a lot that I really don't believe much in like red states versus blue states. Um, I believe because Mississippi is like a notoriously red state. And I have seen more powerful community organizing there than anywhere in the country. Yeah. Folks that like truly just meet each other's needs for the sake of doing it. And folks that galvanize their community to get behind something and go to town about it in a way that I've seen nowhere else. So Kansas, I think is another indicator that it's really just the loud voices that are speaking for the many because the many are saying that people should have access to abortion. And when the people of Kansas were asked that, their folks showed up and knew that they needed to make it very clear this is not something we believe in. And there might be a demographic of folks that are going to be very loud, but they are not the many. And so I'm truly thrilled for that victory for them. It was definitely a beacon of hope in what felt like a very dark month. <laughs> And because if I'm not mistaken, that was the the end of July, I want to say. Um, I can look up the date. But yeah, I was thrilled for them. And I hope, I don't know anyone at the Kansas Abortion Fund, but I do know it exists. And I'm sure that they're doing great work. And so I hope that they are continuing to be sustained in this moment. Yeah. It It is. Um. So yeah, I feel like that was exciting. And then the city of Atlanta's. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about that. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So, um, it's actually so funny that this happened because my best friend from home was visiting me in Atlanta for the first time. And I was so nervous about the vote. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. And to preface. So there's a couple of reasons why this is huge. One, a city is funding like a municipality is funding a nonprofit that is directly funding abortion care. So that's huge. But then to be a major city in a state that has a six week ban is like just another layer of people power and radical community organizing. And so Amplify Georgia, along with like partnerships from um, council persons in Atlanta had the city of Atlanta donate $300,000 of like their budget um, to ARC Southeast. And so we're going to use that money to fund abortions, get Atlantans and folks all across our region to abortion care, both in our region and outside of our region. And yeah, it it was huge. It was definitely, ugh, definitely a win for yeah. sure. And to be an on the ground organization, a young one at that, because ARC Southeast turned <laughs> seven in May. So in, in a lot of ways, we're still learning and growing. Um, but to be trusted with those resources based on the work that we've done is, is an honor to say the least. And so we were definitely all a little burnt out. We were definitely all a bit, a bit exhausted and just like, like, felt like I was running on cylinders for a bit. And so that win was just, I feel a reminder from God and the universe that we are doing good work and that the people like want to support that work in a way. So, yeah. and right after that, I want to say it was a couple of days after that, 
the city of Philadelphia did the same thing with the abortion fund of Pennsylvania. Like, I think it was, I want to say it was almost the same amount, if not more. They, like, took money out of their budget for the abortion fund of Pennsylvania. And so that's the third way in which this is big. This is happening locally in a state that is has reduced access to care. And it's a domino effect for other places that are reducing access to care. Seeing, like, oh, that happened in Atlanta. It can happen in Philly. It can happen in... Wichita, Kansas, it can happen in wherever. So I think there's a lot of ways in which it's super powerful. I didn't actually realize that the Atlanta abortion fund went to Arc Southeast. It did. That's yeah. I didn't realize that it was like too specifically. Directly to Arc. So um, it has to be like an Atlanta abortion fund because it's city funds, but it's funneled through. So the people power is Arc Southeast. Oh, I see. Okay. So what do you, I think people want to get involved. People want to, including me, you know, like I volunteered and it's like, I want to like change the world. And there's like only so much that a person can do. And and I think part of our society is like you were saying, individualism. It's like breeding us to think that we need to like recreate the wheel or that we're doing something that someone else hasn't already thought of before. But I think people genuinely really want to even now, even more than before, step up and help or or contribute. What do you have like recommendations? I'm sure a million people have been asking you this. Dude, that is the party line right now. Um, So before June 24th, 2022, I would have said apply to volunteer at ARC Southeast, Mm -hmm. but on June 24th, 2022, we received 472 volunteer applications and just me gets to process those. So please don't apply to volunteer at Arc Southeast, at least until the middle of fall um, so that we can get some stuff together. What I would actually say is come to programming that these organizations are holding. So like follow them on social media, see what they're up to. I know that we are going to be doing a lot of events for International Safe Abortion Day, which is at the end of September, come out to some of that programming, come say hello. That I believe, I think volunteering is so important. So, so, so important. But more importantly, like I say to the volunteers all the time and Jill, correct me if I'm wrong, y'all are part of our family. Like y'all are the lifeblood of what we do. And so if you take folks to clinic every day and we never get to meet you, we never get to see how you're doing, that is also a big a big part of how we how we approach the work. Um, there's no gentle way to say that the amount of money we spend per patient has increased drastically. Um, what was like because we had so many clinics, we have so many clinics in Atlanta that could provide care. Folks could just go to the clinic up the street from them. We were just worried about getting them to clinic, getting them home. It isn't a completely different process of practical support to get Jill from Atlanta to Charlotte, have like Jill's kids watch while she's gone and then have her brought back home um, from the flights to the hotels to like the cost of care increasing as gestational age increases. Mm-hmm. And so the a simple way to get involved is not to don't not to just donate, but consider being a monthly donor of Arc Southeast. And I don't say that to be like, donate $100 a month. I'm a monthly donor and I donate $15 a month um, to Arc Southeast. Is that a crazy amount of money? Absolutely not. 
but is it a reminder for me that like I am supporting a movement, not just like this crazy moment. Two years from now, I'll still be a monthly donor of Arc Southeast. Hopefully I'm still employed by them, but I will still be a monthly donor of Arc Southeast for the rest of my life because I support this movement. And again, don't want to get yanked around by like when pop culture says it's important versus me as a person just deciding this is important. So consider that as like a way to support. Also, it lets you like see our newsletter, which you could see anyways, but lets you see our newsletter and stay abreast of what the organization's up to. What are, other than ARC Southeast, what are some of your favorite organizations that you think people uh, should follow or could follow? Well, obviously ARC. Um, you said other than ARC, so good thing that I started with ARC. <laughs> um, the National Network of Abortion Funds, which is like the national organization of which we are a member fund. They post a lot of like what abortion access looks like across the country um plan c pills they do a lot with like mail order abortion work and what what it looks like to get abortion pills via mail so the misopropdol and mifeprestone Mif you're the dr jill you know how to pronounce it just pretty good with that okay cool i always butcher it but um how to access the abortion pills and then your local abortion clinic like whichever abortion clinic is closest to you find their social media, see what they're up to, see if they like need volunteers, see, see if they need clinic defenders, clinic escorts, see how their staff is doing, if their staff has been like let go due to like a lack of need, because a lot of like abortion clinic staff have like lost their jobs due to like a lack of, like a lot of abortions happen at six weeks and 12 weeks, the, the laws are intentional. So see how you can maybe support them, see if they're doing any grants for their workers, like can you donate $10 to like support a worker that has like lost their job in, in the midst of all this so yeah. I would definitely say just stay as local as you can like. Because Community care is your Community like you specifically we live in Atlanta and so i'm always going to be like curious about what's going on in abortion access and just in general in Atlanta. But if someone is listening to this and they're in DC, Arc Southeast is probably not the fund they should donate to. They should donate to the DC abortion fund because they will likely know someone who might know someone who works there or has been supported by there. So really finding what community is for you and plugging into that. Um, I love that. It's like it's like forcing us to get back to connection because there's no other choice. Absolutely. We, we are better with each other. We are the best with each other. Um, any, anything else that you feel like we did? I mean, there's obviously like a million things we could have gotten to, but is there anything else that you feel like you want to share with all of my, um, millions of, <laughs> millions <laughs> of, listeners? of listeners? Um, just remember to like breathe, take a deep breath. Social media, the news, its job, how it makes money is to like keep you like down bad and scared. There's still good in this world. I am clinging to that fact for dear life and do what you need to do to take care of yourself and the people that you love and to see that good. So, yeah. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, it's, it is very interesting. Like as all of the things are happening in the world, as as the leak happened, and then and then and then June twenty fourth happened, and like, and it almost feels like like I could look around and be like, I'm getting married, and I live in a 
home with a human being that I love and like my family is safe and you know like that's it, amazing it feels it almost feels bad or like guilty have yeah because no. there's like it almost feels like I'm like well my, and I know it's not it's like well my life is fine so who cares it's not that but it almost felt because things were so like deep embodied grief in that in those moments in particular like there was such a for me at least uh a, a kind of peak of intensity of all the feelings that we knew were coming and then it like all started to happen yeah but I love what you're saying it's like that's actually how we we don't let them we don't up. let them yeah, yank everything. us around and yeah. also anything like the maybe like the stillness that your life is bringing you right now like allows you to like extend capacity in a way that others can't right now yeah. with the with like the concept that like there will there will come a time where like Jill needs support and your people need support and knowing that like your community will pour into you like this life ebbs and flows in just so many ways I feel like the yoga teacher in me is jumping out but it really does ebb and flow and I would say similar to you like I have a full-time job I'm in like a much better place than I have been in my life so there's a bit of guilt, but also remembering when I was down bad, when life was like truly just <laughs> taking me through it, I was not able to show up the way I can now. And yeah. maybe one day I won't be able to. And knowing that I have people that, that will, will stand in the gaps for me is very fulfilling and reassuring. I love that. I love that. Um, so yeah, so it's not like a put your head in the clouds love what you're, you know, like micro love, you know, like in your microclimate, but it's like, it's, it's, it's like a resource. It's like, that's how we, we get our strength and support other people and yeah. in the work. That's, that's so beautiful. Um, well, thank you so much. So people can find you. Um, can you, we'll put it in the show notes, but can you share how people can find you and also please share how people can take yoga classes with you also? Yes. Oh my goodness. So, um, I am on Instagram. It's literally just at Yukwoma Yukairo. Um, you're going to see a lot of foolishness, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and then I'm on Twitter at Yukwoma Yukairo and on Facebook, Yukwoma Yukairo. And um, I teach at Dancing Dogs Yoga Atlanta. It is on the Atlanta Beltline. And I teach Wednesday mornings at 8.30 a.m., so definitely early for some, but a good way to start the day if you're if you're considering. I teach a heated class, but there are plenty of unheated classes on the schedule as well. And so if you're interested, your first class will be on me. Just hit me up, let me know. And I'd love to get to meet you in that way too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Yupoma, for for taking the time to talk and for just the like breadth of your wisdom and knowledge and like love and commitment and um joy like you're I feel like a, a sense of joy from you even though you're working in one of the most difficult spaces I would say always but like in particular now yeah. um and thank you for you know the the like philosophical universe advice but also some very wonderful like you know practical like here's what people can do um to support and to join in. So um, thank you again for, for letting me, for honoring me with, with your time. Absolutely. Thank you for thinking of me, Jill. I really, really appreciate it. 
Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts, and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.